Welcome back to the Faith and Finance Podcast. This is episode number 24 with LaRae Garcia. Hey friend, welcome back to the Faith and Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Hildebrand. And on the Faith and Finance Podcast, we discuss personal finance, intentional living, and value-aligned spending by sharing inspiring stories and practical tips to help you steward your finances in a way that honors God and builds your faith and wealth for the present and generations to come. Before we get started, do not skip through this because there's some important information. Mom Adrian is coming up. But before we get into this episode with Lorray, there are a couple things I need to chat with you guys about. If you follow me on Instagram and Facebook, and if you don't, there are links down below, you notice that we hit 10,000 downloads of the Faith and Finance podcast, and I just can't even contain my excitement. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We together are changing the conversation around what it means to steward our finances. And in honor of reaching 10,000 downloads, I am doing a giveaway on my Instagram page. You do need to be following me on Instagram to win this giveaway, but I'm giving away five personal finance books that I think you're going to really enjoy. Actually, I know you'll enjoy them, but in order to get a chance to win, go find that post and You'll see the instructions there. If you're listening to this in real time, it ends on Friday. So make sure you get entered. In order to get one more extra entry, you can leave a review, a written review of this podcast and send me a screenshot on Instagram. Also, there's a link to sign up for my free online training that will be live on November 7th. So if you have not signed up for that, there's a link down below It is a teach me how to start a budget training and I'm really excited about this because you guys have asked for it and asked for it and asked for it and it's finally here. If you're anything like me, you love buying quality pieces but you kind of love looking for a deal, right? So I'm really excited to share with you a really cool app that is going to be sponsoring the Faith and Finance podcast. So Shop Tagger is something that is a extension of your browser on your phone. And so what it does is it helps you save money. So currently what I'm doing is I was able to save this pair of fry boots that I'm trying to save up for. I was able to save it to the app and it alerts me if the price goes down or if there's a coupon code found and it's really, really cool. And I love it. Shop Tagger is a must have app, especially for holiday shopping and Black Friday. It enables you to save items from 4,000 plus online stores to one place and get notified the moment they go on sale. Hallelujah. It also scans the web for coupon codes at checkout and automatically applies them to your purchase. To get Shop Tagger for free and to be automatically entered to win $500, hello, click the link in today's show notes. You'll also want to make sure you listen until the very end because I have another exciting announcement, but I'm sure you're done listening to me talk. So let me introduce you to today's podcast guest. Lorraine Garcia lives in Dallas, Texas with her husband, Jordan, and her dog, Remy. She graduated from Georgia State University with her bachelor's in social work and is currently pursuing a master's in social work at University of Texas at Arlington. She has worked as a financial social worker for three years and currently works at a nonprofit organization in an anti-poverty program where she uses counseling techniques and financial coaching 
to address mental, emotional, and behavioral changes surrounding finances to help assist families to transition from poverty or financial instability into self-sufficiency. Let's hear from Lorraine. Hey, Lorraine, welcome to the Faith and Finance Podcast. I'm so glad you are here today. What the audience does not know is that uh, we actually became kind of Instagram friends and I saw you know, what your job is, and you're going to talk about that. And I was like, yes, it's so interesting. So I'm always loving connecting with people, the faith and finance fam, as I said, before we started recording. So I'm really excited that you are here today. Can you tell us about yourself? Absolutely. The number one thing I like to talk about is myself. So I'm more than happy to do that. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, so I um, live in Dallas, Texas with my husband. Um, we are kind of, we just got married about two years ago. We're about to have our second wedding anniversary and we come from very different financial backgrounds. And so we realized that when we started dating and got engaged, that financial security was one of our top priorities. And we kind of got really interested in it together. And then um, also career wise, I work as a financial social worker. Um, So my personal life, in my professional life, um, I'm surrounded by finances, whether I like it or not, as we all are. So I've just really enjoyed it so far. And I, I just have a real true burden, true passion mm-hmm. for um, especially people our age. I mean, like, I feel like so many millennials, to use that term appropriately, so many millennials are like so lost when it comes to dealing with finances. So um, whether that be in my professional life, like I said, or my personal life, I just have a real heart and desire to see people financially stable because yeah. it's such an unnecessary stressor <laughs> that a lot of us put ourselves into. And so I really want to see people flourish and, I and love thrive so much with and their I finances. I completely agree with everything that you've said. So it's really, really, really cool that you are a social worker. I talk about how social workers and teachers are like superheroes to me. So what kind of made you want to get into that field? And then specifically now you're in financial social work, which I I honestly didn't really realize that was a thing. So can you talk a little bit about that? Social work is my number two favorite thing to talk about. So I really could go on and on about this specifically. But I started out as a psychology major and loved human behavior in the brain and how people are so alike, but also so different at the same time. And as a freshly out of school, call it, I mean, uh, high school <laughs> graduate, I was super ambitious and chose psychology. And then as the semester went on, I realized like, oh, to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I need to go to school for like eight to 12 years. So forget that. Um, and so after a series of changing my major a few times, I went back to psychology and found out my school had just started a social work program. And I was at a community college and I was like, well, I don't really know what that is, but it sounds interesting. And the more I, so I kind of started it like on a step of faith and was like, it sounds cool, but I don't really get it. And then I've just absolutely fallen in love with it. So I have been a social worker for a few years now, definitely have found, I feel like my calling and my place, my person, my Myers, I'm a big personality test person. And so my personality test is an ENFJ, which is the protagonist. Um, So my personality type is all about like finding the best in people and Mm. seeing people live their fullest potential and any of the personality test types that I take uh, that list like the ideal career types, every single one of them say counselor and social worker on them. So 
I really feel like I'm in my mold when it comes to doing social work. So as far as the financial social work part of it, that kind of happened by mistake or by accident. Uh, So as part of social work programs, you have to do what's called a field placement. It's like a really intense internship Mm -hmm. and it's not optional. You have to do it to graduate. It's a part of the curriculum. And so for my undergraduate, uh, the I was placed at a Christian nonprofit organization that was um, dealing with emergency financial assistance. Oh, wow. And um, so I was working every day with clients who were in uh, crisis situations, and we would provide emergency assistance to get them out of those situations. And so I was all day long just hearing about all these stories of moms, you know, with kids who are about to lose their home. Or um, I'd see moms come in with um, kids and they didn't have enough money to pay for food. And so they come to our food pantry. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, like I I couldn't get enough of it. And I ended up um, being hired there after I graduated. So I worked there for almost about a year. And then I relocated to Dallas with my husband when we got married. And then I started working at, thankfully, another Christian nonprofit organization where now I work in a long-term case management program with individuals and families, and they come in uh, impoverished. They're in in poverty, Um, and my job is to work closely with them over the course of a long time, sometimes two to five years, to help transition them to a life of stability and self-sufficiency. So I absolutely absolutely love what I do. I mean, it's the most rewarding job on the planet, and I can't get enough of it, and it's super tough and really crazy, and I told my husband all the stuff that I do at work and he's just like, holy cow, I could never do your job. But wow. holy man, I, I absolutely love it. So it's really rewarding. Yes. I, first of all, it's so cool that you just said, okay, so part of my dream, Lorraine, and I'll share this. I know it's not about me, but I think it goes hand in hand with what you're doing. Part of my dream when I started Faith and Finance was to be able to partner with nonprofits, specifically those who deal with, with what you're doing, I think. And I think what you're doing is so, 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 so important. So it's so cool that you've shared that with me. So I know you can't go into big, big details about like, obviously who you work with or like any, you know, because of privacy laws, but can you explain a little bit about kind of um, maybe a a typical session would look like, or who comes in to see you or can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, most definitely. Um, So Typical sessions vary from client to client, household to household, because our program is is holistic, meaning that we don't focus solely on finances. We look at everything, which I'm a little biased, but that that's what sets our program apart from a lot of financial coaching programs is that it's easy to go in and look at finances and count the dollars Mm. and cents and make a budget. Um, But if you don't take into consideration the mom who, as soon as she walks out the door, has to worry about her kid with behavioral issues or the wife who goes home to a domestic violence situation, everything you just talked about goes in one ear and out the other. So it's super important. Like we I always pitch it to clients and say that, you know, finances is much more than just dollars and cents. It's emotions, it's feelings, Mm -hmm. it's behaviors and everything else that goes in on your life has to do with finances, whether it's directly or indirectly. And so we approach finances by looking at everything, the whole entire picture, because all of those things influence financial decisions and financial decisions influence all those other things. So they're very much so interconnected and very kind of tangled. And so if anything, what I typically do is I, I first with the first few sessions with the client, um, it's mainly like I, I compare it to putting a puzzle together. So you first start out by dumping all the pieces on the table and kind of spreading them all out to look at all of them, Right. And then that's when you start rearranging them and saying like, okay, here's all the blues over here. So these pieces have to go together. And so the first few sessions that I have with clients is mainly just dumping all the pieces out. So it's a lot of information gathering. 
And it's not for me. Obviously, I don't benefit from this. It's for them. And so I always frame it that way, too, that like you don't gain anything by lying to yourself or being dishonest with yourself. And it definitely doesn't help me either. So let's be really upfront. And sometimes that vulnerability and that ability to say like, hey, like, I really don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes I think as adults, we're all like, we have this kind of pompous, you know, view of our finances, like, hey, I'm a professional, I'm an adult, I can do this thing. And then sometimes we have to just really be honest and real with ourselves and be like, holy cow, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) How did I even get here? (laughs) And so um, in a typical session, like I said, it can really vary. Um, So it is primarily financial coaching. Um, So I do a whole lot of, you know, credit counseling, I do budget making we actually don't even call it a budget we call it a personal spending and savings plan yes because budgets have such a negative connotation and they're very limiting um so i've we've refrained from using that word because it's it's not about that it's about making a plan for where your money's going to go and people like that idea much better so yeah but it's it's just more of a conversation it's a conversation about what's going on with finances, what's going on with life that's made dealing with finances more difficult in this season, or what's going right in life that's made dealing with finances easier this season. And so that's the benefit of doing it long term is like following the journey of like seeing how you not only grow financially, but also just overall as a person and how your finances can really help build you up as a person. Right. And using, I, I tell people all the time, your finances can be your biggest asset or they could be your worst enemy. And so figuring out a way to shift it from being your worst enemy to something that you obsess over and you're so consumed by with worry and anger and frustration to something that's, you know, like the biggest tool you have in your toolbox. And that, of course, can be a really long journey for some people. So that's where I come in. Everything you're saying is everything that I preach all the time. Like, like it is all holistic, you know. I've I've shared that in other episodes. When I started getting my finances together, everything else kind of was working itself out. But that goes with any habits and and behavior change for sure. So I love, love what you're doing. That's so awesome. I think so too, but I'm probably a little biased. No, it's so, it's so, (laughs) so, so, seriously incredible what you're doing. So as far as your own personal life, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I don't, I know social work and financial social work is a huge part of your life, but um, in your own personal life, kind of how has finances or money, like what's your money story, your personal money story? How has that kind of played out in your life? Yes, definitely. I I, am very passionate about this also, because I've definitely made a lot of mistakes that I had to fix before really coming to terms with being able to help other people. And I'm still not perfect. Neither one of us, you know, none of us are. So um, for me personally, so to give like a long backstory. So um, I come from a pretty well-to-do middle-class family. Both my parents were um, vocational school graduates, had had decent paying jobs in the medical field. Um, However, financial behavior wise was God awful. (laughs) It Mm. was, and of course, like I did not know this as a child, but looking back on it now, I can see it. My, I'll be completely transparent. My dad blew money like there was no tomorrow. He very much so coped with um, a lot of internal frustrations with spending money. And uh, he pretty much put our family in very tough financial situations by racking up so much debt. And of course, that made my mom the the defender of the household by being super tight with money because any money she could get, she would have to hang on to to kind of balance out the scales, so to speak. So I come from a family that had money, but then did not use it wisely. And so growing up, I always told myself I'd be very savvy with money because I did not want to be in a financially stressed out situation like that. 
and I think that's what makes me and my husband come from two polar opposite ends of the spectrum because my husband comes from a, a single mom, had three kids, and she was the only you know breadwinner of the household being a single mom. And she really struggled to make ends meet for my husband and in their household. And she made it. I mean, she made it, but it was definitely stressful. And so my husband comes from a position like, I, I don't want to be in this position. I want to do what I can to make sure that my family is financially secure. Hmm. So we come from different backgrounds and we come with the same financial goal. And I think that really helps us have kind of a really broad perspective of what's going right and what's going wrong because we come from two different ends of the spectrum. When I was in college, of course, I fell I fell victimized by <laughs> all the credit card companies um, so I did have a few credit cards in college that I used. Um, I've always, I, in one of your episodes, you talk about working in college. Absolutely. If you don't work in college, you're missing out on so much. But I worked full-time while I was in, I've always worked full-time while being in college. And so the debt was manageable, but of course it was still credit card debt. Whenever my husband and I got married, we both were like, let's get rid of this stuff. So God blessed us with amazing jobs when we moved out here to Dallas. And I think within our first year of marriage, I think we paid off 12000 in debt. Wow. Something that's like awesome. that. Yeah, we were just like on a mission. We were both working full-time jobs and we both got part, we went full Dave Ramsey. We both got mm-hmm. part-time jobs at this coffee shop in our apartment complex. Um, so we were working like 50 something hours a week. Um, any little extra money we were putting towards the debt. So it sucked majorly. I'll be 100% yeah. honest. It Been was there. gruel. It was gruesome. Um, but I mean, it totally paid off. And then I'm going to piggyback off things that you talk about all throughout this thing. Um, our value ended up being shifting from being debt free to we're not, we're not spending enough time with each other. Mm. Obviously we were working separate shifts. So one night I would be working the next night he would be working. And so after probably about nine months, I think we ended up quitting the second job because, you know, it's our first year of marriage. We want to spend time with each other. We, we did quit those jobs last year, but of course we had knocked off a major chunk of our debt. Yeah. So now we're just working on student loans. So. And then we became really passionate about it. We're very goal-oriented people. And so when we um, started attending our new church, when we moved to Dallas, um, we were asked to help out with teaching financial peace. So we started helping out with doing that. Um, We were teaching it with an uh, older gentleman. So it was really cool to see like he's at the end of his money journey pretty much. And here we are kind of starting Mm -hmm. at the beginning. So it was really cool to see the different perspectives. So when I say finances are everywhere, like we are all in it. Absolutely. (laughs) Everywhere. And I love that you shared, you know, that you and your husband were willing to make those sacrifices for a time because there was an end Mm -hmm. goal, right? Yeah, So when you don't have an end goal, it's hard to do those things. It's hard to see, well, why am I doing this? I'm never going to pay off my debt. Well, yeah, because you haven't said, this is why I'm doing it. This is my why. This is why I'm doing those things. And for any, I think I've talked about Dave Ramsey enough on the show, but financial peace is Dave Ramsey's course, eight week course that you take. And it teaches you through the baby steps. So for anyone who didn't know, I just wanted to say that, but I've talked about Papa Dave all the time on this show. (laughs) What is it that your husband does? And we know that you're a social worker and so I know you were working to pay off those student loans, but do you kind of have a philosophy about student loans? I'm always curious because I'm always like, don't do it if you don't have to. And like, make sure you're getting a return on it, your investment and all that kind of thing. So do you have thoughts about that? So let me start back. So my husband, he works as an energy consultant for um, an energy brokerage firm. Okay. I'm hoping, hopefully he's listening to this and not cringing at me chopping up what he does because hopefully I'll get it right. But what he works as a consultant for major companies to help them reduce energy costs. So he works as the middleman between energy providers 
and companies, um, because here in Texas, it's kind of open market and you can select different energy providers. Not every state is like that. So that's what he does. And he absolutely loves it. So he's in business. To give a little more history with our student loans. So um, I'm I'm from Georgia originally. And so Georgia has this incredible um, where anyone in the state of Georgia, as long as you have a 3.0 GPA and you're attending a public university, the state will pay for 80% of your college tuition oh, for your bachelor's word. degree. Yeah. So I was very fortunate. I went to a community college for my first two years, no student loan debt because it's affordable yes. <laughs> and because we helped. So the 20% we paid out of pocket because it was totally doable. And then um, for the other, my final two years, I was able to graduate from the biggest university in Georgia with no student loan debt, which wow. was so fortunate. Like I did not realize what a blessing it was until I moved to Texas and I was like, holy cow, what is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I was very blessed to not to not have any student loan debt when I graduated. Uh, my husband, however, because he lives here in Texas, um, so he first started out as a music major. He was on a scholarship for music because he plays drums. Thank the Lord. He knew that me and my husband would be together because there is no way a social worker and a musician would ever have money. So <laughs> I always joke and say that God changed his course because he knew we would be together. So after about two years, my husband really felt a tug to change his major and he switched to business, which of course means he has to pay back everything that the scholarship paid for right. for the first two years. So um, he did unfortunately graduate with student loan debt, but of course he, he played it very smart. He was a bit more savvy um, in college than I was. So he only accepted what he needed. So that's primarily what we're working on now. As far as our philosophy goes, for anyone who's taken Dave Ramsey's course, you know, it's very extreme. It's very like get to the finish line as fast as possible. And so I think a lot of people get really deterred by it because it's so extreme. Mm -hmm. And and the things that he kind of asked people to do is very, very demanding. And so what we've done is taken the same philosophy from Dave Ramsey and kind of customized it to our personal values and, and, and made the two align. And so what we did when we, when we moved to Dallas and we were calculating what, what affordability was for all of our expenses, um, we really based affordability primarily off my husband's income mm-hmm. um, to, because, of course, his job is much more secure than mine is because, of course, I work for a nonprofit, so it's grant-funded and blah, blah, blah. Um, so we live below our means in order to be able to pay more towards student loan debt because everybody knows that if you make minimum payments, like you're barely staying afloat. That's how they want you right. to pay it off because you're forever going to be paying on it. We pay more towards the student loans um, than the minimum uh, just to get it knocked out as fast as possible. But we also are not putting every single extra penny on it because we're newlyweds and we sure. still value spending time together. and We value traveling and we don't have kids yet. So we're trying to take advantage of the opportunity to go places and do do things. So overall philosophy is like, it's going to be there. We have to pay it off. We're not going to wreck our credit trying to ignore the fact that it's there and really kind of saying like this, this student loan debt offered us the opportunity for an education to have a better provision for ourselves. So let's not take advantage of that and let's do our due diligence to pay it off. I mean, that's what's owed. You took out the loan, so you can't cheat the system and say, well, forget that. I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. I 100% agree with everything that you have just stated and also of course I preach value hashtag value aligned spending every day of my life so yes. you know you've made you made sacrifices up front to get that credit card debt paid off and then you right. made another sacrifice to say you know what we need to spend time together because uh, uh, at the end of the day time is our most valuable resource really and people right. people are resources to us and we are resources to other people so I love that you pointed out that we valued time together because it's so true and as long you know you made a point saying like we're paying off our debt we know that it's there but we're willing 
to uh, make a little bit of a sacrifice too to spend time together and that's I love that and that's the whole heart of everything that I teach over here and I'm you've picked up on that that it's just about hearing other stories and how they've done it and kind of not beating yourself up I even have went as far as to say like thank your debt for being what it was when you needed it you know like sure yeah but like you just said you just said you know our 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 debt our student loan debt or our student loans afforded us an education to be where we are today and so it's like look at that too and say you know what yeah maybe I made some bad choices even if it was credit card debt but it did this for me you know we talked a little bit about this and I want you to also share so there are a lot of options actually for college that people are not aware of. And you just mentioned one just by living in your state. And there are a lot of states who have all kinds of options. I mean, you can graduate high school with your associate's degree and you can get high school credits. You can do CLEP exams. You can, depending on the state you live in, you may get certain kinds of scholarships, whatever. So how do you feel about And I'm specifically asking you this because I've used social work as an example. I think that you guys are heroes, social workers and teachers and and anybody like that, because you guys are very underpaid for the work that you do. But I talk a lot about, you know, student loans and uh, making sure you get a return on your investment. So do you and because you work in this field, you see people, I'm sure, with, you know, loan, student loan debt or, or whatever it is. So kind of what do you feel about that? Kind of talk a little bit about that. Yes. Okay. So this is another hot, hot button for me. So when it comes to education, return on investment is like a huge lens that I think when we're fresh out of high school, we just do not have that at all in our peripheral vision or in our vision whatsoever. I think that we, we automatically think of the most prestigious school. And if it works, we're like, let's do it. I'm going to be able to say that I graduated from XYZ university and we're not thinking about the end result. And so for social work specifically, yes, we're extremely underpaid. I told you earlier that I'm social workers joke all the time that we're in it for the outcome, not the income, which mm-hmm. is 100% true. <laughs> but I, like I said earlier, went to a community college for my first two years because it's way less expensive, much more practical. And then, of course, like I was able to graduate. So I still got the same degree from this from right. a prestigious university, but I just paid half the amount of money for it because I went there for half the time. And so I think especially for people who are thinking about returning to school, people who are fresh out of high school. I wish that I had the perspective for someone to say like what you're choosing to do with your education, there is going to, it's not just, you know, selecting your career. You have to think about how, how you're going to get to that career. And sometimes I think we're so quick to, I have so many classmates from high school who first chance they got just hopped on a plane and went to some out of state school for some degree that like art history or mm-hmm. something like that, that it's like, what in the world are you going to do with art history? And how is art history going to pay off your out-of-state tuition? Right. Um, so it's really important to really count the cost literally and figuratively um, about the education track you want to go on. Can you be anything you want to be? Absolutely. Go do you, whatever you want to go, what it be with whoever you want to be as far as your career goes. Right. <laughs> and but really think about the cost. I am such a huge advocate for community colleges. Right. I don't know why people are so turned away from them. I mean, it's the first two years. No one cares where you spent the first two years of college. They care where you graduated from. So if you plan on transferring to a four-year university afterwards, that's what you get to tell people. Right. I don't tell people I graduated from middle, middle Georgia State University. I tell people I graduated from Georgia State because that's where I got my last degree from. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a huge calculation that everybody needs to take the time to sit down. And parents need to take the time 
time to sit down with their children and say, look, you need to think about like, I know you're super excited to go to college. I know you're super excited to be a doctor or a lawyer or businessman or whatever you want to be. But you also have to think about what it's going to cost you to be that Mm -hmm. after you get out of school. Because we have this glamorized idea that once you graduate from college, you're like rocking and rolling and making money. Um, But a lot of a lot of people graduate college and are so shocked by student loans. And they're completely drowning in them. Mm. I mean, I have a coworker who, with her student loan debt, she she admittedly said, like, I didn't know what I was doing with student loans. They were entrusting me as an 18-year-old to sign off on financial papers that I had no idea right. or understanding of. And she's t- she's having to pay $1,200 a month in student oh, loans. my word. Yeah. And I mean, she's doing it because, you know, like, she it's important for her to get those down. But at the same time, it's like, had she been more informed and able to make a more educated decision on that, could she have had a lower payment or made some other decisions that would put her in a more comfortable financial situation now? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's definitely worth sitting down thinking about, you said earlier, um, I'm going to go on another rant here. You said earlier about having the end game in mind and having the finish line identified and knowing what your why is. I am such a huge advocate for that because if you don't, you're just, you're kind of meandering through life. You don't know if you've arrived because you don't know where you're going. Right. And so identifying the end goal makes, it, it kind of helps visualize if you're on track or if you're off track. And if you're ready to go to the school, regardless of the cost, just because the name means that much to you, that's your decision. Mm-hmm. That's your prerogative. But you also have to take into consideration what it's going to cost you uh, mm. to have that name. So it's just a lot of perceptions that I think as young adults, we don't have when we're first out of high school. Absolutely. And that's what I talk about here too, not to make any of us feel bad because the reality is, is in America, we are in the trillions for student loan debt. And to me, it's not even that I'm upset with an 18 year old kid who signs their life away. I'm upset with the systems who that have allowed us to do that. Like who said that that was okay. They can't even buy a pack of beer yet. Like, <laughs> right. so that's what I'm upset about and trying to change the narrative around it. Right. And so I think right. a lot of Gen Zers, Lorray, uh, which are the people, you know, right below us, right. They, a lot of them are waiting even to go to college because they're yeah. like, you know what? They're realizing, you know, they're okay with living a simple life. You know, minimalism is a big thing right now. And I kind of have like, you know, a minimalist view, not, not probably to the extent that the minimalist guys do, but you know, they're, they're <laughs> thinking about their lives. Like, do I really have to sit behind a desk for 50 years at a job? I'm not even sure I'll like, because sure. this country was founded kind of on the apprenticeship model, really, when you think about it. And I'm like, you know, internships are fine, but they're not even really teaching these students, these young people, like what that job's really about. And, you know, I'm 25 now and I've just now kind of figured out what jobs are really out there, you know, by working for companies. And so I think it's so important what you're saying about, you know, always look at the return on your investment. And also like, it's okay not to be 18 and have everything figured out. It's almost impossible to have that actually. (laughs) Yeah. I'm 25 and still don't have everything figured out. I've just learned how to trust (laughs) God more, you know? So Lorraine, I don't want to take much more of your time and this has been awesome. You've shared so much goodness and I just love your attitude and your spirit and what you're doing, but is there anything else that you kind of want to share or talk about before we end today's episode? To not be carnal and to tie it back to the whole premise of, I feel like what your podcast is built on and what, my personal journey has been built on is, you know, we haven't really talked yet about tying it back to trusting God with your, with your, your journey and your path. And 
I mean, for me, that was such a big thing is like throughout my whole college journey and through my whole, throughout my whole finance journey, um, I grew up thinking that being wealthy or being well-to-do was, was almost like, I feel like being, being well-to-do was demonized in a certain Mm -hmm. regard. Like I come from a very rural area in Georgia where the church there, um, not many people were thriving financially. And it was almost like we had this, um, humble poverty that even the savior didn't have a place to lay his head. And we were like comparing ourselves to Christ's journey, which was totally misconstrued. And I, I really, I was thinking about everything on the way to work this morning to, you know, preparing to talk about this. And I just really could not get out of my head how much God truly cares about our finances Mm -hmm. and that he doesn't want us to be struggling. And he doesn't want that in our health. He doesn't want that in our marriages. He doesn't want that in our families and our church families. He doesn't want that in our finances. And there's nothing in the Bible that says being in poverty is, is an honorable position to be in. Right. If anything, the opposite says that. Yes, it's all about the heart. It's all about your perspective. It's all about where you put your trust in. But at the same time, I think we focus so much on who we are. Am I educated? Am I successful? Am I in poverty? Am I struggling? That we forget whose we are mm-hmm. and that God cares so much about our, our finances and, and he wants us to be flourishing. He wants us to be people with position and with influence. And sometimes having that education and that financial backing allows us to do that. And how are we supposed to change the world if we're at the bottom of the totem pole all the time? Right. <laughs> and so I think that's super important, especially since our generation is becoming the most educated generation um, that we take advantage of that and we influence our workplaces and we influence our communities. And sometimes having, not just the education, like you need that to be able to do those things. Absolutely not. God, God is the one who ordains the platform, but that we, we can use those things to our advantage. And it doesn't have to be an either or. You don't have to be a, a pew warmer who just is faithful and giving and that's how you serve. And you don't have to be educated and not being in church at all. You can, you can be both those things at the right. same time. And God honors that and he wants that. And I think that we, a lot of times, forget that he cares about that kind of stuff. He cares about your career. He cares about your finances. He cares about your lifestyle. He cares about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And if we just let him in and we stop siloing finances away from him, I think that we would see our churches and our people and our families. I was, we would see lives change when we start letting him into those things that we're so uncertain about, (laughs) especially finances and let him have his way. And I think that we forget that all the time. So stop doing that. I'm going to tell, I'm not in the business of telling people what to do, but I will people tell people to do that. Stop letting God out of your finances and start letting him into your finances because he cares about that. He doesn't look at that and be like, well, I'm the God of everything and finances mean nothing to me. He, he is the God of everything, including finances. Mm-hmm. So stop pretending like he's not. That's right. <laughs> Preach sister. I know. Good. I know. I'm getting on my tan, no, on my soapbox now. <laughs> right. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your heart. If anyone wants to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Anyway, you can find me. My name is probably like one in five people on the earth. So <laughs> if you just type in Lorraine, I'm probably one of the five people that come up. But really, uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. On Instagram, um, I have my maiden name because Lorraine Garcia was not available. So it's um, Lorraine Penny, P-E-N-N-E-Y. You can direct message me. I, I absolutely love this topic and I am willing to help anyone in any way that I can. And if you feel like your finances are a mess and your life is a mess, let me know. We'll talk about it. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> I'll help sort it as, as best I can mobily. So absolutely. let's do it. Let's, let's get to a place of financial stability as fast as possible. Yes. Amen. And I'll tag your, your handles and your uh, Facebook page on here. So everyone can see you. 
Thank you so much again for this. This has been awesome. Yes. Thank you. God bless you for this podcast. This is super awesome. And it's so excited to see what comes out of this. It's only just beginning. Thank you. Thank you so much. How stinking awesome was Lorray. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode because I loved talking to Lorray and just hearing her take on behavioral changes we can make and then also her take on being a social worker and a financial social worker. She's just awesome. So I hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. If you have listened all the way to the end of this podcast, like I mentioned in the beginning, and even if you are listening to this and trying to skip through, you want to stop for just a second because I am finally launching a one-on-one coaching program. You guys have asked for this and it's here and I'm really excited to bring it to you. However, I'm looking for beta clients and what that means is I need to prove and test my process. So I'm looking for people who want to work one-on-one with me, but also who are going to be willing to give feedback and a testimonial as well. So if you've listened to this, you can email me adrian at faithinfinance.org, which I have linked down below with the title, the subject line being, I want in, okay? And I will message you with some information about that. So if you are interested in being one of the founding members of the Faith and Finance Financial Coaching Program, you will want to email me. Thanks again for listening today. Keep the faith, my friend.